Welcome back to the Maladjusted Monkeys podcast. I'm Tommy Archer, joined always by my favourite co-host, Shane Clough. That's it? That's it. I'm okay. not going to make fun of you. I did that in the last episode. Uh, and today, today's a very You couldn't episode. think of anything else. No, I couldn't think of anything, mate. I'm, just, I'm on my third coffee for today. I'm, I'm tired, mate. Um, getting another episode out, which is very good. Obviously, we've just come fresh from uh, our previous Q&A episode, which was great. So, guys, keep, if you have questions, keep sending them in, uh, and we'll get around to answering them when we can. Uh, but for now, we have a pretty special guest. Uh, I've known him since about 2016, when we used to work together at the same station. It is... Dan McLeod. Hey, mate. Thanks for uh, being here, man. Pleasure to be here. Big fan. Big fan of your <laughs> So, you and like one other bloke. <laughs> I always wondered who they were. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what we're, we're trying to get all our fans on. Yeah. Um, mate, it's so good to talk to you. There's, there's a lot to unpack. Uh, you're someone who, now that I know your story and everything you've been through, probably the epitome of resilience, particularly as a police officer, mate. Mm. Uh, I don't say that lightly at all. Um, but to start off, mate, before we get into the heavy shit, yeah. um, let's start it off light. Let's start it off light, guys. Um, when and uh, when was the time you joined the police, and why? Oh, geez, two thousand and eight, I think it was. Um, I don't know, mate. It was kind of a bit of a calling, to be honest with you. Um, just for some reason, I just always wanted to do it. Uh, always been a big fan of helping people, and I thought I could do that with the job. Um, so yeah, that's that's what I, I went on the. Uh, the journey, I guess you could say. What were you doing before? I was selling furniture. Oh, really? Yeah, sell ice to the Eskimos. Oh, that was mate. Yeah. It comes in handy sometimes. Some bloke who can talk is definitely you. Yeah, underwater. <laughs> yeah, so at least let me get a word in today, mate, because this show is all about me. Um, the Tommy I'm and Art show. The Tommy and Art show. Okay, well, so 2008 and uh, just selling furniture, not moving furniture? Well, I had to do a bit of that too. I didn't like that too much. Um, I worked in Woolies before that for about seven years. Yep. And I thought, I really want to do this for the rest of my life. No disrespect to anyone who works at Woolies. Good job. Good company. Uh, we'd all starve without them. But, um, you know, and then I then I sort of I went in and I did a diploma of justice because uh, I decided I'd watch too many episodes of Cops and wanted to join. <laughs> and uh, so there, there, there that, oh, that was it, mate. You know, yep. like, and then I, then I set, then whilst I was waiting to get into the academy, I'd sold a bit of furniture and then I was in. Yep. Is was the job straight off the bat? Was it um was it what you thought it was gonna be from the episode of Cops that you watched? <laughs> um to be honest, mate, for the first year, few years I had to deal with um an adrenaline factor. Um Yep, yep. Something that I didn't well, I wasn't experienced with until I joined. Um, you know, going to jobs as a first year in like you know, got the jitters. <laughs> this guy might knock my head off. You know? <laughs> um, but you sort of—that's weird. That's kind of a weird process because over the years, those jitters, like it takes something really significant before you even get anything. It's yeah. kind of like you become immune to the adrenaline a little bit. Yeah. Well, it takes more and more and more each time. Yeah. Like a drug, it takes more and yeah. more to get you to that same threshold. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, like because, like, you know, oh, well, I mean, recently is not a good example, but maybe a few years ago. Like, someone would have to try and stab me with a knife before I even got any. You yeah, know, like, yeah, it'd yeah. have to be really kicking off or, you know. So, yeah, it's interesting how that works, but, yeah. Well, that's something we spoke about when I was really starting to burn out mm. is I was chasing that adrenaline yeah. almost like if, you know, like if a job... Addiction. Yeah, like, I was, I was itching for it. And if, I, if it wasn't there, I'd try to get it to that level, yeah. you know, um, which can be dangerous. Um, but, yeah, it's a funny thing you mentioned that is that, you know, as a first year... You're jittery all the time because it's all new and you're dealing with things that you've never seen before. I remember my first year, um, the uh, the Viking we called him because he was uh, he had that accent. I don't know, I don't know which country he was from now, but one of those um, like oh, Scandinavian, yeah, Scandinavian yeah, yeah, yeah. type country. Yeah, and he come over and he just grabbed my hand one day because I was like trying to take a notebook statement on. Because <laughs> <laughs> this this big Barry bloke is in the backyard doing the harky, wanted to kill me. So. <laughs> um, any old, yeah, he could, well, he could have killed me if he wanted to. <laughs> I think you had your notebook out. <laughs> Trying to take notes, because that's what you're taught to do. Take as many notes as possible. Meanwhile, boy wants to take your head off. Relax. Is <laughs> that your training yeah, officer? Yeah, that was your training officer. Where did you do your first year? Nala. Oh, wow, yeah, okay. Well, I don't know if it was as bad as it used to be. I mean, there's, there's officers out there that probably attest to that, but um, it was, it was, she was a wild old place in 2008. Oh, yeah, I can yeah. imagine. Where, where best did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Brisbane. Yeah. Um, Sunnybank Hills as a young fella, went to Runcorn State High School and then uh, went up north to Burpengary, Burpers. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Burpers for a while. 
Um, and then I went from Burpers into the academy, and I was in my own place then. Well, you've, yeah, you mentioned going going to the academy there. Um, you've you've already alluded to you know from conversations we've had like where your issues kind of started. Um, do you want to start talking about that? What happened with regards to before the academy? Yeah, yeah. before the academy. Um, yeah. So yeah, I was, I was with my partner Renee at the time. We, we, we um, she fell pregnant with my son Lachlan, and uh, um, he was born leading up to the academy. Um, and died pretty much the day before I joined the academy. Um, he had a really rare syndrome. I'm a carrier of a gene. 10% of the children I have uh, will cause this breathing syndrome. And, uh, and he had that. You know, average lifespan is about eight years, tracheotomy and 24-hour nurse care. Um, so Renee and I, so this was leading up to the academy. I don't know, I probably slept about four hours and eight weeks. <laughs> And uh, Renee and I sat down and we just sort of thought, you know, like, you know, what, you know, the quality of life's going to be pretty poor here, you know, um, and because he was in he was in ICU for eight weeks, um, and uh, we 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 made a decision that we'd let him go, um, and we asked we we brought that decision to the doctors, and the doctors sat down and had a big board ethical meeting, and they determined it was ethical, and then we let him go over a 40, 24 hour period, I think it was. They just took him off the show. He needed the machine to breathe. Yeah. yeah. So they just took him off. Um, they just took him off a machine, and uh, just gave him a bit of diazepam every time he was struggling a bit. Eventually, yeah. he passed away. Yeah. How old was he? Eight weeks. Eight weeks. Mate. Yeah. So then I joined the academy the next day. Oh. <laughs> so like, I don't know I don't how, know you how did I, got, that, I don't so, know how I got there. Yeah. Your son passes the next day. You start at the academy, and. At the time, you probably didn't realise where your headspace was. But like looking back, how much of a change do you think there was in you? Got walking into a new job. Oh, mate, I um, I was I was a mess. But you know, you, you get really good at pretending that you're not a mess. You know. Yeah. And Cause how old are you at the time? I was uh, ooh, fourteen years ago now. So what would that be? Twenty four ish. Wow. Yeah. Young. Twenty four ish. Um. So yeah, man. Uh, like I don't. I don't know. I just thought it was a distraction. I just used it as a distraction. Yeah. Just, whatever, whatever I could to keep myself out of this, because I was just a mess. And whatever I could to get out of that mess, I just did. And did you tell anyone? You facilitators or anything like that? What yeah, I was a bit of a mess, really. There was, there was. I had some weak. I had some moments. I shouldn't say weak moments because they're not weak moments. But I had some moments where um, I was, yeah, I was struggling a lot. Yeah. And and you know, everyone that I came through the academy with knew that. Um, just because I was I was there, but I was wasn't you know what I mean. I was just sort of hanging on, sort of thing. Um, and so yeah, it was. Um, they everyone knew it, but uh, yeah, it was just one of those things, you know. Like I just grind through it. So, I think that's something a lot of people um, can relate to is that using uh, work to kind of get you to forget about other things. You're you're trying to swap focus onto something else. Um, like similar when my brother passed away and I had that course coming up and I was like, no, nah, don't take me off that course. I need to, I need something right now to, uh, you know, keep me away from that headspace. Um, it, it, it can work, but it can also, you know, massively backfire. I think it's pretty incredible the fact that you were able to get actually through that. Cause how long is the, the recruit training? Six, six months. From six here, months. Yeah. Six Holy months, yeah. shit. Yeah. Well, it's, it's only a temporary fix, man. And Absolutely. It, and it catches up with you. I mean, um, I would go to work, try and help people and tell pe- give people advice on what they should do with their lives. And then I would go home and absolutely obliterate myself. Yeah. And wake up in gardens. Yeah. You know, like, uh, and meanwhile, you know, my relationship with my partner just deteriorated. Um, she was having a really hard time too, so that all broke down. Um, so, yeah, it was just, it, it's just not the way to do it. Well, while, while you're at the academy, obviously, you know, you during the day you go into your classroom and you got something to focus on. When you were coming home, what was the relationship like with you and your missus? Well, I don't want to disclose too much about her battle because yes. um, I don't want to air, you know, her battle yeah, out yeah. there. Yeah, know, yeah. Her consent, permission, but um, she was really struggling. Um, she would sort of, you know, I'd just be 
drunk, drunk every night, basically. Also, um, even while you were at the academy, you were yeah. Well, not not when or... I was not necessarily during the week, but I mean, you'd work Monday. You'd and when you're at the academy, you do Monday to Friday, you know. Um, so but on the weekends, it'd be Saturday, Sunday, just blind drunk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like falling asleep and beer all running down into the armchair, you know. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> that sort of drunk. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, were you a big drinker? Um, before you went through all this? Mate, I was, I was a bit of a, uh, what do they call that type of drinker that you just, when you do drink and you just get smashed? It's a binge, binge, binge drinker. Yeah, yeah, I was a bit yeah, of a yeah. binge drinker. Um, yeah, so it's, it's in, it, I guess it was kind of in my culture, my family a little bit as yep. well. Um, yep. I don't drink anymore, mainly because I can't, but, um, and I probably, you know, I don't enjoy it like I used to anyway. But, mm. um, yeah, so sort of took over my life a bit during yep. that stage, yeah. So once you get through the academy, You've probably got like six months of stuff hanging over your head and stuff going on at home as well. And then when you finish the academy, the job actually starts then, right? So now you're actually dealing with real stress. What was that experience like? I kind of came, like stress just was my life. You know? like yeah. I was being fueled by stress. Yeah, yeah. I'd go to bed and I'd be trying to sleep. And you know when you go to sleep and you just can't turn your head off? Mm. Well, that was like my whole life, 10 years, you know. And I... um well, maybe a bit less than 10 years. I sort of got a little bit better as I got a bit older. But um, when you're running on three, four hours sleep a night, and stri- that's that's all that fuels you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. So that's, hey, that, I can imagine that first year would have been tough. And in that time, were things at home getting better or easier? Oh, well, Renee and I broke, broke up. Um, what was I? I actually moved in with a couple of, well, that might have been a bit later on. It's hard to remember when you look back. Yeah, yeah. it becomes a bit of a blur. Yeah, it yeah. does, doesn't it? Um, so, yeah, I moved in with some lads um, that I'm still mates with. Stephen Moore, what a legend he is. Um, and uh, I lived with them for a period of time, I believe. And then I actually ran away to North Queensland, yeah. <laughs> thinking that that would change all my problems. Yeah. Um, this is after your first year's done? You went straight up there? Yeah, I yeah. went to Air, yeah. uh, a little town just south of Townsville there. Absolute, sorry, yeah, but it wasn't much fun. Uh, uh, we don't have many listeners. Yeah, 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 you probably only got five anyway. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I went to air for a while as a mess. Uh, thought I could run away from my problems there. Uh, was there for two years. Got a compassionate transfer to Bribie Island. They looked after me, the the the, 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 um, the rank structure. Yep. Uh, the, what do they call them, superior officers sort of. Looked after me. They sent me to Bribey Island, which I can't Probably believe right. I ever left that place. Yeah. Why I did that, Why? I have I don't know because I was I wasn't well. <laughs> I just I just wanted to run away when things didn't work out of Bribey. Yeah. I thought nothing for me. Give another place again. Yeah. So I was at Bribey for a while. Worked in the Caboolture CIB for I don't like I don't know how I functioned to be honest with you for a while. But um, where are you going through this? Where were you talking to people about like what you were going through? Did you look for support anywhere? Yeah, I, I did get. A, I did. I did try to reach out sometimes, but it's really important that you reach out to the right people mm. um, because if you reach out to the wrong people, you'll go backwards and you'll lose a lot of, um, I guess, your trust and faith in people to yeah. help you. Um, and I, I reached out. I did. I was a broken man, and everyone knew it. Um, I think you know, but it was kind of like uh, it's just Dan, you know. Um, but I, I used to reach out. I did reach out to a few people that I, I thought were mates. Yep. But it, it, I didn't get the response that you know. I guess I, you know, I don't know whether you deserve or not. But you know what I mean, like you know. Or needed. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so it was only uh, you were only kind of opening up to you know people, co-workers or, or your friends at the time. Nothing yeah. like perfect, like uh, like a psychiatrist or, or no, psychologist or anything no, like that. No, yeah. And I was I, I was too fearful of doing that. Yeah. Mainly for the repercussions of my career. Um, yeah. And I can imagine this is what we're talking about, like 2009, 2010. Yeah. Around those years. Oh, yeah. You're spot on, actually. So right there, yeah. back then, it's different to what it is now. Mm. Um, it's still a long culturally, way to go, but culturally, I can imagine, because what with 2010, we were in the army then. We know what the culture around there yeah. was then. 
can imagine QPS at that time. I was sitting on Bribey Island, you were in Afghanistan. <laughs> <laughs> Get that in this. <laughs> Thanks for reminding me, mate. Um, I think I'd take Afghanistan over Bribey any day. Uh, yeah. hey, we, still, we still got seafood over in Afghanistan. Did you? you fucking what? Day one when I flew in, prawns. Oh, Jesus. Didn't see it again until. Um, in, individual experiences may differ. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Until the next new guys flew in and then prawns appeared. <laughs> I'll like, see what's what, going on here. Did you wait till someone ate it before you ate it? Uh, they actually did make me sick. <laughs> And that tasted awful. Oh, God. Um, But yeah, like, imagine the culture back in 2010. You're probably reluctant to go, well, I probably need to talk to someone, but I don't know where to go. And that, that you said that fear of what does that mean if I start telling people what's going on? There was, I mean, there was a little bit of conversation with HSOs, but that, that usually, which is a human, um, human office resource. Human services. Yeah, services officer, which is what the QPS provides in relation to helping people that are struggling and so forth. Um, Again, like you've got to be, you know, like, I mean, I was never, I've never really been like in a suicidal sort of frame of mind, yep. but I've just been in like a, I guess a, a shell shock state of mind, you know, yeah. just rattled, just like yeah. lots of anxiety, trying to drag myself, you know, to do things every day, those types of things. Um, so I did reach out to them a couple of times, but that was more to try and relocate and run away again. Yep, yep. <laughs> try and get, 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 get the pieces yeah. in place, you know. Just go, was it, was it, was it, I'll try Rainbow Beach. Yeah. Like, going up. I went to Cairns after that. Yep. And uh, it's probably the busiest place I've worked in the job, Cairns. It's, it's just nuts up there. Um, you've just got lots of housing commission, um, lots of unemployment. But then you mix that up with the big party culture mm, as well oh, yeah so you're going out to the suburbs for really bad dv and then you're going out to into the for a big brawl into a town and, yeah and yep. it's just it's just and like literally that's the best place to wind you up so yourself up so bad that you just can't shut off yep. like you know as you guys know when um you're dealing with potentially like i mean i like it w- wouldn't go it's not rare to like for someone to have a crack at you every shift in cans, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like I remember waking up this um this indigenous gentleman on the road, he was sleep it was like thirty eight degrees, he was sleeping on the on the bitumen. I don't know how you would do that. Yeah. I woke him up and he got up and he just wanted to knock my head off. <laughs> just started throwing punches at yeah. me. I can't fight, you know that. <laughs> so, I can attest. Uh, <laughs> it was kinda of like watching a twelve year old girl try to defend himself, you know. <laughs> not that bad, mate. <laughs> no, no, well, well, okay, yeah, maybe a bit, a bit a bit harsh on myself. But um yeah. So, so you've gone. You're dealing with your issues. You're still drinking at this point. Yeah, you've gone to one of the busiest areas. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah I like it. I like it busy. I thought. like it busy. Yeah, and that goes back to what we're saying: is that oh, I've got to keep busy. It's yeah. distracting. Yeah. When you're going through all this, were you self-aware of what was happening to you? Yeah, I knew it was a mess, um, but I just kind of just trucked on a bit. I Did guess. you know where it stemmed from? Um, yeah. Well, it was all from my son. Like, I was a mess from my son. I hadn't yeah. processed my son's death. Um, and there was a lot of anger inside me for that. Yeah. And I took it out on people. And anybody I took it out on, if you're listening, I apologize for that because it wasn't anything towards you. It was I stuff, forgive you, mate. Thanks, mate. <laughs> it was stuff that I was going through. And um, I, re- I really regret that now. Um, so I took it out on a lot of people and things like that. I was a very cranky man. And cans just made me worse. Yeah. It made me more hypervigilant. Yep. It was just a mess. So when I left there, I was um, I went to Dutton Park, <clears throat> where I met you, and uh, when we, when I was there, I was just like I I was just running on empty. I was yeah. just well, it's three, four hours like, sleep a night. And I mean this in the best possible way. Like when you came to Dutton Park, uh, I found it difficult to work with you. <laughs> oh, was first. that? And I mean this in the best possible way. Stay with me here. Right. Uh, I think well, first, well, we got uh, conflicting policing styles. I think. I okay. won't explain what that means. <laughs> well, our, our, our methods, our policing styles are different. But I think, uh, and probably a lot of people felt the same, like there was an edge to you, but we didn't know where it came from. Well, like, yeah. is that just, and you said yourself, oh, that's just Dan. Um, and I think I worked with you for a couple of years and then w- myself and Shane started this. And I think you had listened to it and you and I were doing a shift once and we started talking about this, and that was when you started opening up about the battles you've been through, because you, you don't talk about your personal life that much, and you started telling me about your son, and like that, I was not expecting that, and yeah. stuff with alcohol, and it felt like once you told me that, I understood you, and I went, I get where, like, why he is the way he is, and I can see, it's, it's he's angry, there's shit going through, he's gone through his mind that he hasn't dealt with, and that's 
where you, you know you have that prickly personality sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I, I try, I try and be a very, I try to be like when I operate as a police officer, I try and be a very passive person and, and listen and show empathy and all that sort of stuff. But I guess when I got back in the car, that can be a different story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, 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 again, I like you as a person. It's like, like, why, why does Dan treat the grubs better than you? No, I can just see like you're very, um, sometimes you'd be very short and there was like this undertone of anger yeah. that, I, that I picked up on. But because I didn't know your background, mm. I, I couldn't pick what, what it was from. But as soon as you told me that, I was like, I, I get it. He's gone through some stuff that he hasn't processed yet. Nah, yeah, well, that, and that was that we're talking like um, we're talking like eight or nine years later. Yeah, and I'm still like that. Yeah. So, yeah. and that's like imagine the damage I've done to my body living like that mm. for that time. You know. So. so when you and I were working together, were you still drinking a fair bit? Uh on days off, yeah, I'd get, I'd get slaughtered. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I, I do miss it sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's what we were just talking about before. Yeah. Last episode, I asked Shane whether he misses it. Yeah. And it's because it's, it's good. It's it's good at the time. Yeah, like it's good, like because you just everything just goes and like you're just in this, you know, everything's I guess I guess affected, you know, changed, you know, you you've, you're in a different space, you know, but the changes in the morning, eh? Yeah, I, I always found. Um, I sort of enjoyed the hangovers because it was another another thing I could focus on, yeah. right, like, you know, having that splitting headache and... Um, distraction. It was another distraction. And I, I think, like, I almost become as addicted to the hangovers as I was to the... And there was a, always a sense of pride for, for me knowing how hungover it was but still... Um, functioning. Functioning very well Jeez. during PT and stuff, you know. Um, yeah, it's... It's fucking weird how the mind works. Yeah. Well, how, how would you feel the days after? Like, were you oh. like that at all? Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, I guess the sadness and anger that I felt was worse. It's always worse because alcohol, yeah. alcohol is a depressant. Mm. So if you're depressed or you're anxious, you know, it might relieve it temporarily. You know, because you know, I guess it's a distraction because you're intoxicated. But, but the next day, mate, it's just it just things come back with a vengeance. You know. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I don't think it was a distraction for me. It was just more like, holy fuck, what did I do that to myself? Mm, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I was just dragging my ass around for a few days until I come good. Did you, as the years went on, did you develop any other coping mechanisms apart from alcohol? Did you try anything else? Mate, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, totally, well, I'm a totally different person now. I'm a big believer in self-love. Like, you've got to, you've got to tell yourself you love you. Remind mm. yourself that you love yourself every day because a lot of people don't. They just beat the shit out of each yeah. other. Yeah, yeah out of themselves um and love for others mate like you know that makes you feel good too you know help the old lady with her groceries and next time you're down the shop and things like that um uh, meditation mindfulness meditation so powerful it's hard it's bloody hard yeah but, yep. but if you if you stick to it it's it can be really powerful um Mindfulness, um, philosophy, mate. Get into philosophy. Mm. I love mm. Shane's right into that. I love philosophy. Marcus Aurelius, I vibe with a lot because I've had a near-death experience, which I no doubt we'll get to. But um, yeah, you've just got to try and it's all about, I think, trying to reprogram the mind, the the patterns in your mind. You know, you yep. develop these unhealthy patterns, like things like, oh, I'm a shit person, or I'm crap, or why did I do that today? You know, blah 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 blah. That's real negative stuff, and you've mm. got to catch that stuff when you get it. Yeah. Easier said than done. Like, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm still learning, and I'll probably learn till the day I die. Yeah. But, um, well, you can never master it. We've said this so many times. No. You're never going to beat it. You just get better coping mechanisms. Yeah, that's tools. right. And, and also the acceptance that, you know, you're going to have those days. I, I was sort of talking about this earlier where I still have, you know, a couple of bad days a week, every week, every fortnight. And one of the things I, tell myself is like, you know, this is going to pass. Yep. It's shit right now, but you know that this mood will pass and you're going to come through it. And you know, that, that's a, that's a really, um, I, I had a real, after my surgery, I had a really big challenge with that because I was in these really dark holes and I was worried I was spending my, my whole days worrying about what might happen. Yeah. As, as great Marcus Aurelius once said, if you, if you spend your time, in the present worrying about what might happen you would just be miserable only to be more miserable when it when and if it does happen yeah so, um you know it's it's hard it's it's not easy and you can dig yourself into these really deep holes and try and get out of them but 
yeah, it, it's, you've got to you've got to put those things into practice. Otherwise, you'll you'll wake up one day and you'll just be a mess. When did you start getting into meditation and philosophy? Well, I was diagnosed uh, with a brain tumor. Um, oh, jeez, when was I diagnosed with that? It was about a seven-year period. So, for about seven years um, before my surgery, I had my surgery in uh, June last year. My memory is not as good. Yeah. That's what happens when someone plays with your brains, I suppose. Um, <laughs> but um, June this year, so seven years prior to that, I was having real lots of problems. I was nauseous every day, lots of problems with lights. Like I'd get a headache in here before the surgery. Um, blurred vision, dizziness, vertigo under exertion. I'd go to the gym and pump a weight session out and then come home and all of a sudden try to get out of bed. The whole world would just spin for two or three weeks Oof. and I'd be crawling to the toilet to shower take about eight months for me to sort of be able to, I guess, Jeez. get my bearings again. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And uh, so, the, so I was policing whilst I was, I was about doing to say, this. So you, you, you were <laughs> yeah. out on the road yeah. with vertigo. Yeah. Oh. There was times where I had to lean up against the wall and take a victim statement because I was feeling crook. It was, the, the big curl for me um, was uh, before the surgery, I was working at Boondle. And we got Zilmere, it's a bit, a bit of a rough area. And... Um, this guy was on meth and he was just bouncing. You know how they just bounce all over the place? Mm. And I I was really unwell that night. I was really dizzy and I, my, I had lots of problems with balance and coordination and stuff for, for a few years as well. And uh, and he's bouncing around the place and I was thinking, and he, he didn't want to have a crack, but I was thinking, I'm gone here. Yeah. If he wanted to have a crack, I'm like completely gone. Um, and I was, I basically, you know, You've seen me in action. I'm doing the old good mate trick, lean up against the pole so I don't fall over. I'm just doing the old mate. Oh, come on, brother. Yeah, like, yeah, brother. Yeah, you going? You know, that sort of stuff. Yep. And anyway, he, he turned out to be friendly and uh, went on his way. But I thought, oh, I'm going to put up my hand up here yep. because I'm just going to get myself hurt or somebody else hurt. So I went and saw my amazing um, boss, um, Senior Sergeant Houston at Boodle there and, and laid it out on for him and said, look, mate, I'm gone. And... Uh, so he put me on the counter for a bit, and uh, it was really, it's been a really frustrating battle, mate. Because for about seven years, like I was going to the doctors and going, "What's going on here? You know, like I'm sick, like I'm so crook all the time. Like I'm balanced, my balance and coordination's gone. I walk down the road, like I was walking down the road. I'd walk a kilometre, and I'd feel like I'm gonna just get go, pass out. And they're all like, "Oh, it's your ear, it's your ear," and they're sending me to ear specialists and all this sort of stuff. And I'm going, "It's not me freaking ear. We've already checked me ear, you know." What what year is this? Seven years from from now, from this, so okay. from now, so twenty fourteen. Okay. Yeah, this was a whole process. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I kept going through the motions. I had all these times where I was like crawling to the toilet, having showers, sitting down because I couldn't stand Jesus. up, and all these things were happening. And eventually, I went to a doctor who said to me, um, "You know, well, you got all this stuff on your brain, and like it's and it's been on your brain for seven years." And I'm like. Because I've got, I've got three tumors. They removed one, but I've still got two others. And, um, and I'm like, well, that's it. It has to be it. And they were still like, nah, it won't be that, mate. <laughs> oh, so eventually I ran into this doctor who actually said, well, you got all this stuff on the brain. Let's send you to a neurosurgeon, right? So I did some researching, and my type of tumor was, um, I had a 14-millimeter tumor, which is not, they can get bigger. Um, on my pineal gland, um, which is right in the middle of your brain. It, your pineal gland is um, responsible for mel your melatonin pro produced. So that's probably maybe why my sleep was so yeah. bad, you know. Um, but anyway, so what that tumor was doing was actually crushing that. There's a part under the, the pineal gland called uh, a formation of the brain called the um, aqueduct. And it's basically brain fluid shoots through there. And brain fluid's got to shoot through at about 250 cc's. And so the tumour was collapsing that aqueduct on into that canal, which is um, preventing brain fluid from going through. Yep. So when I exercise, my blood, my, blood, uh, my blood vessels expand, which then put more Pressure. restriction onto, the, um, onto, onto that, that valve. And that's why I was almost getting blackouts and, and vertigo and all that sort of stuff. So... I did some research. I reached out to some public neurosurgeons first because, you know, if you don't have to spend the money, don't spend the money. But um, the consensus, I think, 
with public neurosurgeons is that they won't touch you until you're in hospital, ICU, or you know you're in trouble. You're ready to go. Um, and I, with all due respect to the neurosurgeons, I won't name them that I spoke to because um, I saw multiple opinions. Um, I just don't think they have the skills. They don't back themselves to do it. Um, and it and it cost about 150k in insurance a year. So public surgeons probably just don't have the money to pay yeah. for it. Yeah. So they but they don't tell you that. They will basically feed you bullshit. Well, I guess it's not necessarily bullshit. It's it depends on their opinion, I guess. But they will they will feed you stuff so that you don't understand those dynamics, you know okay, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I I got the shits with it because I was so crook, mate. Like, I, it was getting to the point where I felt like an 80-year-old man, like I'm trying to put the key into the door and I can't get the key into the door, you know? Like, it was that bad. So I reached out to Charlie Teo, amazing surgeon in Sydney. He's probably Australia's number one surgeon. He cops a lot of crap, um, you know, a lot of scrutiny. Um, but... I think he cops that because he does things that no one else wants to do. He takes a chance. He backs himself. Yeah. 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 He tries to help people. And, and you know what? This person's in a really crap situation. I can do this. I'm going to do it. Yeah. And that's why he cops so much flack, you know? And unfortunately, and how sad is that? Yeah. He, they should be worshipping him. They yeah. should be saying, please teach me your ways. But anyway, politi- politics is everywhere. Um, and um, we had a, uh, a Skype meeting. I couldn't get to him because of COVID. I'm kind of glad oh, I didn't in the end because he was going to cost me about 40k more than he did. Oh, <laughs> uh, but he's just said, mate, this can kill you. Like, you can, it'll, you'll just go black one day and it'll be all over. And by the time they get you to the hospital and they figure out what's going on, it'll be too late. late. Yeah. Um, so, so we were talking, we were talking to him to get it sorted because he's kind of the guy in Australia <clears throat> when it comes to my type of tumor. Um, there's there's a few around the world and there's, it's it's really disappointing because there's a there's a lot of um, it's very controversial uh, because there's a textbook that all neurosurgeons read that's like a hundred years old that says pineal tumors and cysts don't cause any problems right but that's not the case like you can have a pineal tumor and be fine but that's probably because you're not getting the res- restrictions in your mm, brain yeah. those types of things um, <clears throat> but there, but he cops a lot of flack and. The surgeon, I'm sure, um, cops a lot of flack that did my surgery, Dr. Gert Tollison, the big German, I call him, he's a big German bloke. <laughs> well, you can't understand what he's saying half the time, but he's smart, but you know he's smart. I still can't understand what he's saying. He's sort of, he's like, because he's got that German accent, that, you know, like he's, he's full German, but he tries to speak English, but sometimes the German guy becomes the English. Yeah, you're just signing up for anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Right. Sign it up. Um, so they cop a lot of flack. Um, but it's proven. Like, I mean, I, I'm a perfect example. Yeah. Like, all the vertigo is gone, all the light sensitivity has gone, my headaches are gone. Um, I had lots of problems with my bladder. That's all fixed. Um, my balance coordination is better. Like, it's not perfect. Like, I'm not perfect. But when someone plays with your brains, yeah. you're not going to be perfect. When, when um, Charlie Teo said to you, like, mate, it can kill you, and, um, how did you feel hearing that? Well, it was heavy, but I kind of knew already. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I remember. I remember one night when I was on night work at Boondle, and I was I was so sick, man. Like I was, like I'm just dragging my ass around, you know. And um, and I, I sort of went to the toilet, and I was looking at myself in the mirror. I remember saying to myself in the mirror, "Your time's up soon, mate." I, like I just felt like that, you know, like because yeah. there was just so much going on. Like I should be able to look at a computer screen for longer than twenty minutes and not feel like throwing up and having vertigo. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I. I should be able to walk to my door without feeling wobbly. I should be able to get the key into my door. I'm only 38. Yeah. You know, I kind of was like, you know, this, this is not right, you know. Um, so I, I kind of knew it, like, already. It's weird, like, like when I was talking to Charlie and I was telling him about my symptoms and that, he was like, oh, tick, tick, tick. Like, I had something for, for someone who um, has a pineal tumour or a pineal cyst that's causing problems, there was 10 symptoms and that, that they predominant symptoms and I had seven of them. So it was like tick, 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 yep, tick. Yep. And it's, it's funny, like one of the symptoms is like you have, your neck goes in the spasm a lot and you have a lot of pain that shoots down into your neck and things like that from the back of your head. 
And when I'm doing this all the time, he's going tick tick. You know, like you, you just you you know yourself. You know, it's always um, just a confirmation of what you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Like it's, it, like I'm not a doctor, and I'll never claim to be one. And but I kind of knew, you know. Mm. And it was just so disappointing that I had to go seven years and potentially have dropped dead in those seven years because the doctors just like GPs just don't understand. Yeah. They just don't. They're not educated. And then you got neurosurgeons that believe in this this prehistoric idea mm. that refused to consider, like, isn't that part of being an elite surgeon to take in all the information mm. and consider everything? Yeah, and like the, the latest um, tool yeah. set, Starting, like, advancing, yeah. yeah. So you've got all these people, and I'm on a, I'm on a page on Facebook um, for people with pineal problems, and, like, people are just, there's people all over the world that are just getting shut down every time they go, these really unwell people. Just because of this this prehistoric idea, yeah, it's scary, and it's so complex. Like you know, I mean, if I could probably have had my tumor, and it probably could have been just sitting there. Because luckily enough, mine's all benign, mm. and God, I couldn't imagine the battles that um, cancer, brain cancer patients go through because it's been horrendous just from removing a benign tumor. So, yeah. Um, but you know, like yeah, I lost my track of thought then when That's I was right. going. So with um. When you spoke to Charlie Teo, how long from that till actually getting surgery? Well, he wanted way? to get me down there as soon as possible. Yep. He was having problems. Poor old Charlie's copped some stuff over the last few years and um, he didn't disclose it to me, but I found out through my own research um, that they were looking to try and... Um, he was having problems finding someone to insure him because the board was giving him a real hard time. Oh, okay, yep. Because he was doing things that, you know, people wouldn't try. Like brainstem, neurosurgeons don't like to operate people with um, problems with their tumours and stuff in their brainstems because your brainstem controls everything. You know? But he was. And they don't, they don't like that. Yeah. They're like, oh, this guy's it's doing risky. things. It's rogue, you know. Yeah. It's not rogue. He's just backing himself. But And those people are signing up for it too. So, yeah. you know. Uh, yeah, so I was trying to get down to see him, but COVID just kept getting in the way. We just couldn't get down there. I'm glad I didn't because I think it was going to cost me about 60, 80 K and it ended up costing me 25. I mean, yeah. When you, when in terms of like 60, 80 K, 25, but 25 is still a big fucking number. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Well, I mean, I think my, my chances of ever owning my own home are gone now, but you know, like I'm alive. I'm breathing. Yeah. Yeah, That's right. So, so while you were waiting, you were still working? Uh, yeah. I was sort of on the counter. Yeah. Yeah, well, I probably should have been on the counter for years, to be honest with you. Yeah. But, so, uh, what was your mentality like at work at that point? Yeah. Um, I, mate, I was in a really good mindset before the surgery. Yeah? yeah. Positive? Yeah. I, it's it's kind of hard to explain. It's kind of like um, when you face those types of really extreme circumstances, you either crumble or you don't. Mm. And it was kind of like, for me, it was kind of like, well, I'm either going to get this sorted or I'm just not going to wake up. Yeah. So, you know, I've got to do the things that, you know, I've got to, I've got to treat, show love to the people that I love and, and do what I want to do, you know, love, you know. And I'm a pretty simple guy. There's not like, I don't, you know, I don't, there's not a lot of things that I want, that I have to do to feel accomplished. But the big thing for me was, you know, making sure that, leading up to that surgery, all my relationships were really positive with the people I love, so. Yeah. Well, were they, when they outlined the risks of the procedure, yeah. were they, uh, how do I put this? Were they saying that like, mate, this is, this is a dicey procedure. It could go the wrong way for you. So the risk was stroke, death. Um, I could wake up disabled. Um, I could wake up blind. Um, I could wake up with double vision. Um, extraordinary risks, um, but I was facing those risks anyway. Yeah. So you're like your mentality is probably like, well, we may as well just have a crack now. If I don't have a crack, eventually just go black one day. I continue trying to get keys and locks like this. <laughs> yep. Uh, and I and potentially die. If yep. I do it, it might go good. It might. I might die. Yep. So I mean, it's kind of like. Let's do it. Yeah. So let's, let's let's drop some balls and do it. <laughs> <laughs> so so I guess prior to that, like you you're talking about how um like a lot of issues that you're still going through, um with the loss of your son, 
did was it what what was it that diagnosis that kind of flipped the switch in you to be more positive and kind of get you out of that or was that after you had the surgery or um probably a few years before that i was starting to come good just with the fact i guess i kind of processed the death a little bit more um was that on your own just talking to mates not like again it was a psychologist well i've seen a psychologist um monthly now yeah um, and he helps um a lot but i i sort of i sort of just come good um I, I, you know with me and like i don't i don't want to you know preach that i know how to fix a thing everybody's individual situation mm. yeah I, I don't but for me for me it's kind of like an assertive approach for me like it's kind of like um when i'm when i'm sort of being down for a while or a bit depressed or whatever i sort of go you know what fuck this mate you've you've had you've lived a really hard life you've conquered all these things you should love yourself because, I mean, the diversity that you've endured, you know, the adversity that you've endured and and conquered, you know, you should be proud of yourself. Why do you want to? Why do you want to live the rest of your life now in this hole? Yeah, yeah. Stuff that walk around like you own the place, mate. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. you know? was there something you stumbled across that kind of gave you that idea, or is that just something just one day like you just kind of it, it was a well, light I, switch? I always, or? As Arch knows, I usually. I'm a fighter. I'm not a. When I'm confronted with something, I like to stand toe to toe with it and deal with it. But um, so I think that played a factor. There are some things like in my in my meditation and my uh, mindfulness um, studies, myself learning and things like that. There were some things I picked up there. I think it's better to be um, assertive and maybe anxious than it is to be depressed. Mm. I feel personally. Um, because I, I can deal with anxiety a bit better than I can deal with depression. So, um, but yeah, no. Well, I, when I was at Dutton Park, I went to the doctor. And I'm going, Doc, what's going on here? Like, I can't sleep. I feel short of breath all the time. All this sort of stuff. And he's going, Dude, you're stressed. You get anxiety. And I'm like, No, I don't. Mm. <laughs> I don't have anxiety. But I did, mate. Like, yeah. You know, and I that was a turning point for me because I started to recognise it. Once I once I realised it and recognised it, I can then work on it. Yeah, you've actually got a. Uh, you can see your enemy now, yeah, and so you can start making plans around yeah. defeating that. Yeah, yeah. So that was a big turning point. Yeah, yeah. That conversation with the doctor was a big turning. So I went home that night. I'm going, oh fuck, man, she doesn't really talk. <laughs> and then I went, no, yeah, mate, yeah, 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 you're in trouble, mate. I think we had that same reaction when. Oh, like from from word go. I mean, before the podcast. So in denial about you know having uh, Afghan affect us at all. It's like oh you know you always look back like I look at my grandfather serves in Vietnam now hard he fucking did it or the guys on MTF one and like some of the um, some of the trips where a lot a lot more guys died and you um, you you sort of minimize minimize your own yeah. um, issues and again you like if you can't even own up to what your issues are there's no way you're going to to, you to get over it. you can't yeah. you can't do anything about it until you're like you yeah, yeah you get that excited like i've got an issue until you know what it is yeah until and until you accept it yeah as well yeah that's yeah. right yeah yeah 100 so. so you you have the surgery mm. all right and you're recovering holy fuck Walk us through that. I wouldn't that recommend phase. it. No, don't don't do it for shits and giggles. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, hardest hardest journey of my life. Yeah, and I my son's death was tough. Um, leading up to the surgery was tough. Post surgery, holy crap, mate. Yeah, holy crap. Like um, I pretty you pretty much have to learn to walk again. Um, I've still like I've a lot of the all those problems that I was having a lot of them like ninety five percent of them are gone. Um. But I've got, you know, my vision's weird now. I don't think I'll learn, but like, I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful. Thank you. Um, I don't even believe in God. <laughs> just pray. in case. Still in case. Just in case, yeah. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, like, I'm grateful that I don't have double vision because I did, when I woke up, I did have a bit of double vision. Like, I'd, I'd wake up in the middle of the night, like, pain is horrendous. When you've got 36 staples down the back of your head, like, oh, it is fucking so and um but the pain's not even the hardest thing and i'll get to that in a sec but you know like um i'd wake up and i'd it's all my, it's all in my right eye so i get a bit weird like when i look right sometimes or at the screen look right i'll get like a little bit of a spin and it sort of comes good 
and it's a bit my vision's a bit funny. Um, but I used to wake up when I was recovering straight after that surgery, and I'd look at the clock, the digital clock, and I'd see there'd be it'd be like I don't know one thirty eight in the morning, and I'd see another one thirty eight oh, in the morning no. above it. Yeah, and that was pretty shit. Uh, and I, that got better, thank God. But they did say that that could be permanent before I had the surgery. So, um, so that's come good, but it's still a bit weird. My vision's still a bit weird. My balance can be a bit weird sometimes. My stamina. Like I like I've only just probably got maybe sixty seventy percent back. Like yeah. I can go to the gym now, do a workout, and not feel like I'm going to collapse. <laughs> yeah, jeez. Um, so, yeah. And that's not because of the other two tumors that you've still got. No, no. So they're like they're in a different area, are they? Yeah. So I've got I've got so the pineal tumor is the one that's taken out. That's why I got that big. Oh holy shit! I mean, see that yeah. before? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's good. Eh? That's a good one. Um. Yeah, it's going to be hard to find a girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so if you are out there... And, uh... <laughs> well, you know what will sort that out? Just, just grow a mullet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, maybe I will. Uh, then it'll be this mullet that's part of it. I forget where we were saying. What was the question? Um, oh, shit. Where <laughs> Oh, did it, did it. Yeah. Um, we're talking about recovery. Where yeah. so oh, the other two, Chamina. Yeah, oh, okay. you're at 60, yeah. 70 because you've just started. Yeah, it was really hard, mate. I had to learn to walk again and those types of things. Um, the vision stuff. Um, yeah, man, it was. It's, it's been really, a t- really a tough journey. Um, like I'm just, I'm still dragging my ass to work every day. Like I'm still a long way done. The moods, they were the hardest. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd be like. It's got better. Like my moods are a lot better now. They sort of, I'm sort of going, you know, sort of stable, drop me, and then sort of comes sort of thing now. But um, after the surgery, it was like I'd experience every emotion in the whole day long, maybe several times. I'd go depression, really good, happy, angry, get out of my space, you're pissing me off. <laughs> yeah, you know those types of things. Yeah. Did you have anyone uh, support you or helping you through it? Yeah, Mesa, um, my partner, um, she was incredible. Um, we're not together anymore. I think it was just so taxing, you know. Like, yeah. um, and she's trying to study medicine, become a doctor, and like I just felt like I was just, um, I was just getting in the way a lot, you know. Yeah. Like, she, I, I've got no doubt <laughs> she was waking up there just to make sure I was still breathing and then going back to sleep, you know, um, those types of things. So. Yeah. Because, I mean, there's no guarantee you're going to survive after the surgery either, you know. Like yeah. They keep you in hospital for a week and then you're at home and, yeah, it's um, it's a really tough psychological battle. Like, I thought I had it tough when my son died, but uh, there's nothing like it. Yeah, yeah. Because it's really, it's really hard when, like I said before, you start thinking about what if can happen. Because I've got, I've got white matter on my brain now, like, which is usually only seen in, like, 70, 80-year-old people, you know. Yeah. Um, is that just uh, uh, like a part of your part, uh, brain, uh, like those neurons are no longer uh, working? Yeah, I've got, some, I've got some cellular damage from the surgery. They, well, the surgeon thinks, believes it's from the surgery, so it's kind of like the brain's injured and it's just like freaking out and it's sort of got oh, okay. a bit of damage. Um, but it, the brain, will, the, my understanding of white matter, and I'm not, again, I'm not a doctor, but my understanding of it is that it's kind of like the brain's kind of like releasing this stuff to try and make itself better. Okay. It's kind of like a um, an emergency response. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so white matter can be really bad because it can cause dementia and it also can cause a stroke. And I've I've got it. I've got it now, um, which obviously that's a factor for me moving forward for the rest of my life. Um, unless it gets better. It might get better. It might be just the, the surgeon sort of thinks that it could be just um, a situation where you know, it just the brain just freaked out, and then slowly over time, it'll slowly get better. So yeah, there's a chance that just naturally on its own, it'll it'll get better. There's yeah. no treatment, surgery, or anything to. No, no, they can't. Yeah, they can't go in and just stick it. Yeah, it's 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 like a liquid. It just sort of goes into your brain and yeah, floats right, fuck. Sort of uh, so I've got uh, that's what we were talking about. I've got a I've got a chiroid plexus cyst, which is really quite large, and that's usually only seen in elderly patients and leads can be a sign of dementia as well, um, lead to dementia as well. And that's in my upper um, left um, um, vorti- uh, not vorti- ventricle, which is kind of, your brain's kind of got like these two little pockets. So at the interior of your brain, it sort of goes up and there's these two pockets in the middle of it. Yeah. So there's one in there sort of filling the, get that hole. 
and I've got a, a smaller tumour uh, benign, they, they believe it's benign tumour in my upper right ventricle. So if they get big enough, they'll start causing problems to epilepsy, seizure, those type of things. So we're, we're watching those, but um, we'll see how we go. How long after you had the surgery and your recovery, when did you return to work? Six weeks. Holy oh, shit. Really? I shouldn't have. It should have been. I should have waited longer. But I was. Jeez. <laughs> but I was back sitting in a chair, basically dragging, like looking like dragging my lap <laughs> <laughs> down the down the street, walking into work, sitting in a chair, yeah, and just typing and yeah, doing stuff on the computer and stuff. And uh, yeah, it's, it was it was tough because I get this. I get real bad brain fog now when I push my brain too hard. Yeah. It just sort of goes nah. <laughs> yeah. I'm out. Yeah, and I've got to just. Just wear it for a bit. So. Yeah. So where, what job are you doing now? Uh, I'm, in the, I'm in the vulnerable persons unit, domestic violence unit, North Brisbane. Yep. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm good at DV. I've done for 14 years. So um, it's it's good because I can control my environment. So, I mean, I, I, I can't go back on the road. I, well, yeah. maybe in 18 months because I'm still, I've still got 12 months of recovery to go. Okay. So I'm only seven months into recovery. So how amazing is that? I know. Like I'm sitting here talking to you seven months later after having someone stick something in the middle of my brain. Yeah. yeah. Like you seem like, because I haven't seen you in years. Yeah. Uh, it's like nothing's happened to you. Yeah. You look good, mate. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm back at the gym, mate. Yeah. You know, sometimes I go and watch that, though, because sometimes I get home and I'm laying in bed and I'm going, Mm. Like it's just like too much for the body, you know. Yeah. So I've got to be careful where I go. I've got an amazing guy, Andy Day's his name. He uh, runs Body Buzz out at Mount Omni. Mate, he's he is an absolute weapon. He's 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 been basically helping me with prior to the surgery and after surgery. He's a neurological guy. He's a physio. He's a he's a uh, personal trainer. Um, and he knew what was wrong with me before any doctor did. He is just a freak. Jesus. He is a really smart man. Yeah. So if you got any problems at all, go see him because he is—he's you—you won't find anyone more qualified than him mm. to help you out if yeah. you're having problems with anything, you know. Yeah. Even if it's just a you know a pinched nerve in your neck, although he tells me it's impossible to have a pinched nerve in your neck. But then um, <laughs> he, he makes sure he says that every time I, I say something. Like, yeah, my shoulders have gone, Andy. I think I've got a pinched nerve. It's impossible to pinch. <laughs> Um, We've been using that excuse for years. Yeah, I know. Right? But it's, it's myth busted. We call it a pinched nerve, but there's, there's, there's something, something else. else. Yeah. So. Um, so now that you're back at work and everything, like obviously we knew what your mentality had been uh, at work, you know, the years leading up. Do you feel? Do you have a different perspective when you're at work now? Like you mentioned being a lot more positive and everything. Has that led into how you deal with things at work? Yeah, well. mate, it, it does. Like, well, look, I still have my moments, mate. Like, it's, it's it's just a really hard journey, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure every other brain patient, um, brain surgery patient out there can attest to that. Um, I can definitely see how it breaks people. Like, I can definitely see how people would just give up. Oh, and I've felt like giving up many times. Yeah. Um, but um, I just, I, I kind of don't see the point in them anymore. In what? Just like I go to work because I got to make money because I don't want to be living in a housing commission. But it's hard to like you're sitting there, and it's hard to like like it's good because it keeps me busy. Mm. That's about the only yeah. thing that I, I appreciate from it. Like yeah. you know what I mean? Like I'm not there because I want to be there now. I'm mm. there just because I have to be, and it and it takes my mind off me sitting at home just dwelling on shit for all day. You know, yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah, it just opens your eyes to a lot of things. Like, you know, like I busted my ass for most of my life mm. and to get where, yeah. you know, those types of things run through your mind. Um, so I guess, I guess people, I think, I think the biggest lesson I've learned from my journey is that, you know, I think people dwell too much on what they don't have or I want this, I need to strive for this. Well, no, you don't. You know, like, it's just a blessing that you're here. Yeah. It's a blessing that you're breathing. It's a blessing that you can walk to the toilet. It's a blessing that, you know, you can get out of bed yourself. It's a blessing, you know, there's so there's, you, there's so much to be grateful for. It's important. Like, I'm not saying not drive for things. If you mm. want to achieve things, definitely, That's if that's your goal, then go after it. But don't put so much pressure on yourself, man. Yeah. Because it can things can change, like, really quickly in a snap. Like, 
I, you asked me how I was seven years ago. I say bulletproof, mate. Nothing can touch me, you know. And now I'm broken. Mm. I've had my brains. I had a big tumor cut out of my brain. I got two more up in there. You know, like. But it's obviously having that experience has given you that appreciation now. Like you, I can tell just from seeing you today compared to what it was a few years ago. There's a different outlook that you have, uh, and a different way of speaking. Like you see more upbeat. Mm. So even though it's such a fucking hard thing you've been through. It's given you so much more appreciation, so many more positive now. Yeah, well, I'm just, I'm just glad to be. I'm just happy to be alive, mate. Yeah, you know, like I mean, it could have been all over Red Rover for me, uh, for Dean McLeod. So, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's such an eye opener, mate, and it's something that. Look, I still have my challenges. Like my mind does a few flips every now and then, and yep. I think that's just side effects from the surgery. Like um, after surgery, I was really irritable, really mm. irritable. Like, you, you know how close we're sitting now, I'm fine with it now. But after the surgery, I feel like I need to get away from you. Yeah. Like, it'd just be because you're in my bubble, you know? Yeah. So things like that have been really challenging. Um, I've, I, I've, my personality's changed a bit. Like, I'm a bit more aggressive than I used to be, which oh, is okay. saying something, isn't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I just do things like, I'm, I'm, when I do things at work, I've always been very passive and, you know, well, in the past... Um, like I don't, I'm not. I've never been that copper that shows up and just stands over someone and yeah. tell them what to do. You know yeah. what I mean? You've always um, been very. Would you say? Yeah. Sorry. Would you say it was aggression or just? Are you more assertive now? No, I think it's. I think it's part of the irritability. Stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because just sometimes it comes in and like, I had lots of problems. With, I, I still do occasionally. It's getting better, but I had problems with problem solving stuff. Yeah. Like it'd irritate me having to solve a problem. Yeah. Um, and that would then lead to me, I guess, acting in a more assertive way to get it over and done with, yeah, rather than yeah, actually yeah, yeah. caressing it. You know how some things need to be caressed. Yep. Uh, but yeah, so that's been challenging. So there's there's been like there's been a few little things like that that are still getting in the way occasionally. But um, yeah, it's just good. It's good to be breathing, man. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Is Jordan Jordan Peterson something he said once is like you shouldn't be comparing yourself to other people and what they've achieved and what they're doing you should compare yourself to who you were yesterday that's the only thing you need to worry about are you improving are you getting better uh, there's no point looking over the fence and going oh fuck i want that like yeah yeah chances right. like like you know you're never going to get that like well, people kill themselves getting it yeah like it's crazy yeah. yeah people just wreck themselves trying to achieve something yeah if it's if it's bringing you negative energy and it's like that that saying oh it's good that i've got a philosophy brother <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's like it's like that saying, you know, like um, if you if you um, allow negative people in your life, and that's going to affect how you behave. Yeah. So if something is not serving you, if a person's come into your life and they're not serving you, or there's a goal that's not serving you, then why why, why kill yourself around? and wreck yourself? Yeah, yeah. No, that absolutely remove, makes sense. Remove it from your life, so so everything that's serving you is is a positive thing. Yeah. yeah. Um. Before we wrap up, I want to ask you, obviously, we get a lot of uh, people ask very similar questions through the podcast. My interaction now, I work a lot with recruits. They yeah. always ask me um, about how to deal with the stress of the job and stuff like that. You're a perfect example of someone who has gone through some of the worst shit while trying to do one of the hardest jobs out there. What's one bit of advice that you would give uh, for police officers, whether you're recruits or you know, you've been in the job for X amount of years? Um, of how to deal with the job while going through your own personal battles. Yeah. Or maybe even things that you, you looking back now, you would have changed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, look, I think, um, I think um, it's a great job. I think you'll have so much fun doing it, but you've also chosen probably, other than the Army, the worst job for your mental health and physical mm. health. So you need to acknowledge that from the get-go. And you need to be very conscious of your mental health and your physical health as you proceed through the job, because um, you know it will take take its toll on you if you don't. You might think you're going okay, um, and you might be fighting through things, um, and you might think she'll be right. But like um, with me, I did that for a long time, and um, when they when I had that big major event of the brain surgery happen to me. All those things just came out of the woodwork. So, um, and we lose too many. We lose too many people because they don't look after themselves. So you've got to just make sure that meditation. You've got to make sure that you're talking to somebody, psychologist, mates, uh, positive again, positive people, not negative people. 
um, and be really conscious of your headspace because I've, I've lost too many mates along the way, as you've probably experienced as well, that they don't do that and then they just end up in a real bad way. So, yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Mate, thank you for coming on and sharing your story. No worries, I think mate. It's going to help a lot of people out there. Um, yeah, man, hopefully we can catch up again soon, not wait several many years. <laughs> we'll have a see you again. Can I just say one thing? Yeah, that, man. Um, mate, I... I, uh, I'm not a mental health professional, but if there's anyone out there, whether I know you're doing it tough or whether I don't know you're doing it tough, really a complete stranger, please reach out to me. Um, I would love to be there for you in your dark moments. I can't, I can't say that I'm going to cure you, yep. but I'll do everything I can to help you, and I'll, you definitely won't get any judgment from me, and that's an open invitation to anybody. Yeah. How can people find you? Best way to find uh, you? Just on Facebook, mate. Daniel, yep. Daniel John is my Facebook account, so yep. J-O-N, um, and yeah. Awesome. Absolutely. I think that's such a critical thing to beginning your journey of either rehabilitation or catching something early um, is being able to talk to someone who you know is going, going through or going through a similar thing. Um, it, it can make such a difference in the doors that can be opened by that like through your own experiences going to see a professional or even sometimes all it takes is just someone talking something through getting it out of their head can make such a huge difference yeah absolutely, absolutely yeah it's the easiest step to take even though it feels hard yeah it's the easiest thing you can do it doesn't cost you nothing yeah we need to get rid of that stigma that, yeah that mm. not talking about stuff is weakness and us men are, wor- are probably the worst at it you know um it's not weakness it's mm. courageous yeah and and it shows courage and it shows strength to, to talk about stuff. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely worth it to start talking about things a, a little bit earlier. Yes, it might have a bit of a negative effect on your career, but if you let that shit fester, it's going to have a way worse effect be down worse the case. track. You won't yeah. have a career, you, won't, you, you yeah. might not have a life. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. So. Uh, Dan, thanks again for coming on. All right, Pleasure. until next time, we're the Maladjusted Monkeys. We're out. <laughs>